You guys got to sit and listen to me talk. That is a major letdown. <laughs> Merry Christmas. What a joy to be together. Thank you guys so much. I know this has already been said, but seriously, there's so many things you could do with your evening tonight, and you're here worshiping Jesus with us, so thank you for that. Glad you guys are here. I, I just... I just love it. I love Christmas. I love getting together and it's dark outside and there's candles lit and we, we sing these beautiful songs that are they're like really familiar to us and known and, and we can, we can kind of skim over them. But then you, you have that moment, right, like where you're singing the song that you've been singing at church since you were six and all of a sudden like the lyrics cut through for a minute and you go, ooh, I sing that every year. Yes. In the name of Jesus, all oppression will cease. And you're just like, boom. And you're just like in that moment of, it's just fresh all over again. I just love it. I love it. What a joy to be together. It was so aptly put. Jim and Lisa did a perfect job. So I don't know why I'm up here. But just this idea of like, it's, it's here. It's now. The, the, the wreath is lit. Right? The Christ candle is lit. This is the time when we celebrate like, like the, the, the expectation finally met. That's really, and in my mind, I know this is a weird way to say it, but I really think one of the things that Christmas invites us to reflect upon spiritually is this idea of met expectations. How many of you guys remember that, that, like, that, that weird childhood fixation on a certain gift. Like, I feel like most of us probably had our own Christmas story, like Red Rider BB Gun moment, where like, there was one year where just some gift got so locked into your childhood brain that for those like six weeks leading up to Christmas, it just kind of was, just me? Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I actually have a distinct memory of this. When I, when I was a kid, I don't know, probably like eight or nine, like, like in that range of childhood, right? There was one year where I just got in my head this deep abiding desire for a Star Wars G.I. Joe. You guys remember like the little like the foot tall G.I. Joes that were like Barbies for boys, you know what I'm talking about? This was that, but it was it was Star Wars branded and it was the Hoth Snow Battle Stormtrooper. And he was so cool. And I, I literally, this is not a joke, I would literally lay in bed at night trying to fall asleep, imagining the moment when I got this stormtrooper and just how, how much better my life would be with my little stormtrooper guy to, you know, I guess blow up my other guys. I don't know. But you, know, you guys get what I'm talking about, right? Like, like there's something about Christmas and our culture and our time where we're, we're, we're kids that just get this, this expectation wrapped into our heart. I, I'm not exaggerating when I say, like, my little nine-year-old boy heart, like, my, my expectation level was at about 100% of the max of what my little body and brain could handle, right? It was, like, pure, deep, abiding anticipation. And if you, if you have kids or you've had kids, like, like you, you know a little bit of what I'm talking about, right? Like, that, that just lives in the house for a while leading up to Christmas. Proverbs 13.12 says, a hope deferred makes the heart sick, but long desires met are a tree of life. Now, I, I, I feel like Christmas is just this time, and not, not like in the cheesy stormtrooper toy way, but like in a real way, I really do feel like this is a time when we're invited to just consider the reality of desires met. And I mean, I mean real desires, like, like the deep stuff in the human heart, the, the deep parts of the human heart, maybe even the parts that we don't like to bring to the light super often, the, the deep abiding things in humanity. 
the desire for freedom, the desire for real hope, the desire for salvation on some level. Beloved, I believe that that really is the miracle of Christmas, the thing we, the thing we consider is, is desire, expectation met. So, go back to our story. It's Christmas Eve. The birth pains are here. It's time. Jesus is coming, our King. Salvation is here. I want to invite us to briefly, and I do mean briefly. I know we all have Yule logs to get to. I want to briefly invite us. Some of us can't afford fireplaces, okay? So it's Yule Log Town at the Snow House. Uh, they have those on Hulu if you haven't looked. I'm going to invite us to look at the Christmas story found in Luke 1 and 2 through the lens of the young woman Mary. This story, Mary's story, happens in Luke in three different scenes. In Luke 1, we see the angel coming and speaking to Mary and giving her the news. At the end of Luke 1, we see Mary going to visit her cousin and and composing this poetry and this music with her about the good news. And then in Luke 2, we read the birth story. I want to invite us, I know this is one of those texts that like, even if you're not in church super often, right, like this is the Christmas text and like this is one that's pretty familiar to most people. And so I would encourage you guys, like, like let's, let's take a minute and just try and sit in this story, be present in this story for a couple minutes in our time together tonight. In Luke 1, starting in verse 26, we read this. In the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a young virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And then, after asking a couple of questions of the angel, you know, just some basics, things like, uh, how can I be pregnant? I'm a virgin. You know, just the kind of the, the little stuff. Mary's ultimate response to this message is, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So my question is, what's the deal here? And here's what I mean by that. Again, I know this story is familiar, right? I know it's easy for us to kind of move through this, but I think sometimes familiarity can, can allow us to just kind of move past how buck wild of a story that actually is. I mean, an angel appears to this young engaged girl and tells her that God has made her pregnant with a king who will reign on David's throne. And after just like asking some clarifying questions, her response is just abject faith. Sounds good. I'm here for it. Let's do this thing. That's insane. How is that? Right? Like, I don't know. I haven't had an angel come talk to me. But from what I've read about it, it seems pretty intense. And her response is just so chill. It, it's, it's wild to me. How is this so? I think the short answer is that Mary, along with her people, had been eagerly expecting this moment for literal generations. This is scary, but you have to know as we read this, like Mary is stoked on this. 
This is exciting. You see, way back in 2 Samuel 7, in the, the beginning of Israel's history, like going back to the kind of when David, the second king of Israel, really first gets his kingdom established, God speaks with him through the prophet Nathan and makes a covenant with him. And his covenant with David is essentially this. Bro, I'm super into your kingdom. Like, it's awesome. I'm going to keep your kingdom intact. And he makes this covenant with David that, that the sons of David, the line of David, will continue on forever. And the people of Israel interpreted that very literally with this idea that essentially the dynasty of David would continue in its literal form, that Israel as a nation would continue on in perpetuity, which sounds really cool, right? Like God is on our side. Look how awesome our country is. The problem is that fell apart really quickly. Two generations later, David's grandson is such a poor leader that the nation falls into a brutally violent civil war that splits the country in half permanently. And then just 12 generations later, after that, even that southern kingdom, the part that still has Jerusalem, you know, the throne of David, that part is conquered by the Babylonian Empire, and Israel ceases to exist. The line of David is taken off of the throne. And for literal hundreds of years, the only person who sits on any kind of throne in the city of Jerusalem are governors put in place by foreign oppressors who have conquered and are trading Israel back and forth, empire to empire. This is intense. How could God's promise fail? How could, how could God's covenant with David be so, so flatly, so blatantly broken? Well, in this time, the people of God begin searching the word of God, searching the words of the prophets, and there, there begins to be just this longing and this expectation as they see God's promise to bring about a Messiah, a, a, another anointed one, another one to, to, to take up the throne of David. And this expectation builds and builds and builds. And there is this, this intensity built into this of, God promised that the line of David would continue and that, and that, and that, that would be a thing. And someday he's going to raise up a son of David and, and Israel's going to throw off our oppressors and we're going to be a people again and we're going to have a king again and we're going to be established again. And this longing, this expectation builds and works its way into the very like ethos of the Jewish culture. So by the time Mary comes along, They've spent a lot of time talking about this, praying about this, thinking about this, studying the prophets, and they are waiting for the Messiah, for one who is in the lineage of David, like Mary and Joseph, for one who has connections to Bethlehem, like Joseph. They are waiting for this. So when the angel comes to Mary and says, hey, it's time. God's anointed is coming, and you're going to be the mama. Get ready. Mary says yes. Of course she says yes. She's been, this is the, the culmination of the longings and expectations and desires of her people for hundreds of years. This is Messiah. So she sits and looks at it. Will she be a pariah for being pregnant out of wedlock? Yeah. Will she actually get to marry her fiancé, Joseph? I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But when it gets down to it, there's no other response. But yes, of course. Those things don't measure up to the, the weightiness 
that the wait is finally over, that what God has promised will actually be accomplished, that Messiah is here. Now, I think there's something interesting to point out here. You notice, Gabriel doesn't actually tell her much about Jesus' Messiah ministry. Joseph gets more details. In Joseph's dream, when the angel speaks to him, he's like, Jesus is going to forgive the sins of the world. But Mary gets, your son is going to sit on the throne of David. He's going to be Messiah. He doesn't sit and tell her that Jesus' messianic ministry is going to be very different from what her people have been expecting. He doesn't explain to her that Jesus isn't going to be terribly concerned with raising up an army or conquering Rome, or that Jesus' ministry will not be to free Israel from Rome, but to free Israel from the very jaws of the curse and sin and death. He doesn't, he doesn't give her that part. Which, by the way, answers the age-old question, Mary, did you know? You know the song? The answer goes like this. Yes, sort of. She knew, right? Like, she very obviously knew, like, my son's going to be Messiah. But her picture of what that meant was pretty different from what Jesus was going to actually do, right? So next time you see, I guess, Mark Lowry, is that who wrote that song? You can let him know that. Uh, yes, sort of. Um, but anyway, sorry for that. <laughs> sorry. This is the amazing, surprising scandal of Christmas. That, that, that what God did was, was actually like really far from what people actually expected. They had this expectation, this expectation that had been sitting for years and years and generations and generations. It was built into their identity and their longings. And God is coming to meet it, but he meets it so differently than what they're actually looking for. What God actually does is on no one's radar at that moment. He keeps his promise. He saves his people, but in a way that's just so out of left field. In Luke 2, it says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Did you catch that? Did you catch how that, how that went down? How this is, this is like so off the path of what you would expect for God's Messiah entering into the world? Here he is, the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for, the king, the son of David. But this is a point in history when the sons of David aren't known. They aren't royalty. They're not connected. They're hand-to-mouth poor craftsmen and tradesmen and farmers. And so he isn't born in a palace. He doesn't come to Jerusalem where his throne supposedly is. He isn't born to wealthy, known, connected parents. In fact, his birth is under the shadow of the oppressive rule of Rome. Caesar Augustus, also known as Octavius, the dude who uh, killed Mark Antony. He called a census to tax the people who couldn't serve or weren't allowed to serve in the military. Augustus, by the way, was a title that Octavius took for himself alongside Caesar. It means holy and majestic. So this holy and majestic king called for his peasants to be counted. And a late-term pregnant woman must travel miles and miles to be counted in the city of her fiancé's birth. This Augustus was the, 
the, the first Caesar that we know of who, who called for the people to actively worship him, to kind of deify him. He had his own birthday made into a religious holiday and famously commanded that people should celebrate his birthday because it was the beginning of good news for the people of the world that Caesar Augustus had come. And into that mess, into that dark world, into that place, the true holy, majestic king, the true God, enters the broken and sinful world, bringing actual good news. as a poor, unknown baby. And in that space, the God of the universe penetrates the armor of this cursed world under the radar of any fame, wealth, or influence. And the most, in the most unlikely way anyone could imagine, Mary included, the Messiah comes into the world, our God and our King. And this is what's so amazing about Christmas. From the littlest kid opening presents to all of us considering our own hearts, when it gets down to it, in this season we are reminded that our God keeps his promises. He does what he says he'll do. The promise of God is as good as accomplished. Our God fulfills our hopes and fulfills our longings, but does so in a way that just blows expectations out of the water. Because here's what it gets down to. It's our God keeps his promises. He, he actually like cares about this broken and sinful world, about you and me sitting in this place with, 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 with the hearts we have, with the things we've done, with the things that have been done to us. Like This God actually has compassion and love and care for us and a plan for this world. But he's not overly concerned with submitting that plan to what you want and you think is best. And here's what I mean by that. When our God keeps his promises, he doesn't just show up and give us what we want. He actually shows up into the broken and cursed and messed up world and fulfills the actual need of human hearts. The actual thing our hearts long for. Young Mary said yes to God thinking she would give birth to a general and a king who would free her people. What she got on that strange and scary night alone in the stable was the God of the universe. Here to forgive sins and save souls. Looking for a sword, she got the cross. Looking for Israel to have power, she got eternity with her creator. God showed up in a way that was so much better than what she was looking for. I mean... I'm just going to say it, right? Like, it's really good that God wasn't super concerned about overthrowing Rome at that point in history. That wasn't the whole deal, right? Like, I don't think we'd still be talking about it if that was the deal. Mary had such small eyes for the work of God in the world. And God had such a bigger perspective. She looked at the world around her and thought, this is the need, this is the thing that God needs to fix. And God's response was, oh, I have so much more for you. So much better, so much bigger. That Christmas as a kid, I got the Stormtrooper, BTW, in case anyone was wondering. He is actually still in a bin of toys in my basement that my kids play with. Uh, his boots have been swapped out at some point, but he's pretty much all there. I also got a Han Solo to battle with him that particular Christmas. The Han Solo has not survived into my adulthood. I don't know where he ended up. Uh, <laughs> but the Stormtrooper's there. I guess he was well-built. I don't know. 
the expectation, right? The longing, the buildup. That Christmas, little, little kid Sam, it all came together. And I actually got the gift my little brain had been longing for. And this is the cheesiest thing I'm going to say to you this whole evening, but it's Christmas, so I'm allowed. The gospel of Jesus is so much better, so much more magical than Christmas wishes and presents and the way we engage things. I think, it's, I think that's like a silly example that helps us put our minds in the right headspace to consider what we're talking about. A kid trusting their parents, you know, trusting in just this, like, all this expectation built around this magical moment, right? Like, it's, it's this little microcosm of what we're actually talking about, which is that your Father in Heaven loves you deeply and knows what you need and sees you in this broken and cursed world, sees you in your sin, and says, I have good for you. I have something for you. God gives us what we actually need. He gives us himself. The actual present, the actual fulfillment of all the expectation, all the longing on that night is the God of the universe giving himself as a sacrificial gift to you and to I. What an amazing thing to remember. So here's what we're going to do tonight. Band, if you want to come back up, we're going to do a candle lighting. And I've, I've actually, up until... Two hours ago, I had never done this in a church before, so uh, please don't burn this building down. Um, in just a minute, we're going to end our gathering by, by singing Silent Night together, and we're going to take this candle, we're going to light from the Christ candle, and we're going to pass the light around the room. So if you don't have a candle, you should have one. There's some at the table in the back there if you need to run back and grab one real quick. We're all going to stand up, and as Silent Night is sung over us, we're going to pass the flame around the room to kind of sit in this. And here's what I want to encourage you guys to do as we do this. This is one of those things that, like, you know, it's, it's pretty. It's, it's beautiful. It's a cool tradition. You should experience it. You should enjoy it. Uh, but I want to encourage you to do something. See, we talk about, or, or the way John, the opening of John, talks about Christ coming to the world. It talks about Christ as the light of the world coming in and piercing into the darkness of the cursed and broken and sinful world. And there's something amazing about that about our Jesus, the God of the universe, giving himself, the light of the world, coming to you and to me. And the beauty of the gospel is that that light of the world, through the work of Jesus, through the ministry of his Holy Spirit, enters into you and to I. That the gospel saves us and invites us into the kingdom and makes us righteous. And that we can go in the same love that was given to us and the same gospel that was proclaimed to us and we can love and serve those around us and through the ministry of the Spirit, that same light can be spread from our heart to those around us. So as we take a minute here and the candles are passing around and we're lighting them and the room kind of brightens up as this beautiful Christmas song is being sung over us, I would encourage you to just take a moment as we end out our gathering to just consider what it means to live in, to receive the beautiful gift God has given you and to continue that gift out in the world around you. Sound good? Stand up with me, church.